Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Wednesday, December 23rd, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and on Sunday... We spent several minutes discussing a disappointing blue blood with a Hall of Fame coach. That was Kentucky, led by John Calipari. Today, we'll spend another few minutes on another disappointing blue blood with another Hall of Fame coach. This time, it's North Carolina and Roy Williams. The Tar Heels fell at NC State on Tuesday at 79-76. So they're now 5-3. and three. The other losses are to Texas and Iowa. Best win over Stanford. Norlander, you and I both had North Carolina projected as the third best team in the ACC in the preseason. Are we still confident UNC is a top three team in the ACC? No. Uh, did I really have them third? I looked. I you double did checked. Check. Oh, man. It's not ideal we, right now. We both had it. We both had it. Virginia, Duke, North Carolina in that order. Well, I didn't have Carol. So here's where I differed in the preseason with some of the projections, yours and uh, and others. I did not have Carolina ranked in the top 25 portion of my one to 357. I I put Carolina in 28th, and I remember before like settling on an ultimate order, like my first initial like let me throw everything at the wall. I think I had Carolina like 36 or 37, and the reason was they were so poor last year. I mean, historically bad. It was one of the five or six worst seasons in school history statistically that I was just – I wasn't totally sold on them going from 14 and 19 a season ago to being – if you're a top three team in the ACC – uh, you know, that's probably a four seed at worst, and I wasn't all in on them there. I thought, okay, maybe they can get along the lines of a five or six seed, and that was really what wound me wound up with me booting them up a little bit. But at this point, you know, I watched the majority of that NC State game. I would argue it wasn't a, even a three-point game. NC State, you know, truly beat them by six or seven points. Now five and three losses. To, the losses all respectable. So it's an interesting situation with UNC here. Lost to Texas in a really, really good game in the Maui Championship, which was obviously in Asheville. Then they lose at Iowa, but it wasn't that competitive, 93-80. And now they, they take the road loss against NC State. The win against Kentucky in the CBS Sports Classic has almost no value. Uh, the win over Stanford is solid, but otherwise, Charleston, UNLV, North Carolina Central, there's not a lot there. Their next game is at Georgia Tech a week from when we're talking here on December 30th. So... I think there is still the chance, and with all due respect, as always, to Leaky Black here, and he's actually, I think, you know, he's he's been good in spots, but they're not as good as they should be. I still really love the front line. I still think this could be one of the best front courts in America, but it should be noted, 14-19 team last season. Now it's 5-3, and three, and I'm not going to guarantee you that this team is heading to the NCAA tournament, and in the preseason, 
It was almost just like UNC got by on its jersey name. I don't know. I, I was always a little hesitant there, and, and some of that has come to the surface here. This is clearly, clearly not a top 25 team right now. You know, North Carolina, as you mentioned, they go 14 and 19 last season. And the reason that I had them in the preseason top 25 and one thought that they would have a, a really nice bounce back season is because they enrolled an elite recruiting class featuring three five-star freshmen. The way they're supposed to go from 14 and 19 to really good is the three five-star freshmen are great. And the, the, they're all fine, I guess, but none of them are playing like freshman of the year candidates. Like against NC State, uh, you know, Dayron Sharp had six points in 14 minutes. Walker Kessler had three points in 12 minutes. Caleb Love had 11 points, four assists, two turnovers in 28 minutes. Like if your five-star freshmen aren't going to perform like five-star freshmen consistently, well, then you're not going to go from from bad to to really good. You can go from bad to good, from bad to respectable, from bad to an NCAA tournament team, but you're not going to be elite unless your five-star freshmen perform at an elite level. They are not doing that uh, right now. The other interesting thing, and we touched on Sunday, with Kentucky – it is always the same things. You look at the box scores, you watch the games, it's always the same things. They can't take care of the ball, bad point guard play, and they can't make a shot. With Carolina, same thing, can't make a shot. Last night, two of 12 from three-point range against NC State, 16.7%. They had two potential game-tying three-point attempts in the final four seconds. Yeah. Predictably, they missed them both. R.J. Davis missed the first, Caleb Love missed the second, and they are now shooting – like 25.6% from three-point range on the season. That ranks 304th nationally. And this this was just wild to look at. I don't really have any context for how rare or unusual this is, but it seems rare and unusual. Their top two scores are both shooting 0% from three-point range. Literally 0.0%. Their starting lineup last night was... Armando Baycott, Garrison Brooks, Caleb Love, the homie Leaky Black, and R.J. Davis. On the season, those players are shooting 0% from three. That's Baycott. Brooks is 0% from three. Caleb Love is 11.8% from three. Leaky Black, 18.2% from three. R.J. Davis, 32.3% from three. So they have 40% of their starting lineup shooting 0% from three range nobody's shooting better than 32.3 and i like you really love that front court but if you have no perimeter threat at all it makes everything in the front court much more difficult than it otherwise would be they've got a fundamental flaw there that i don't know is fixable they can't shoot the ball the fact they can't shoot the ball is an issue and i'm overcoming that is going to be a real problem i remember i mentioned this on the podcast once or twice last season i remember someone uh at unc telling me that if Cole Anthony wasn't going to be able to become like a 40% three-point shooter, they were going to have real issues shooting beyond the arc because they just didn't have the personnel for it. Um, they did have issues. They were terrible last season. They ranked 306 in the country, and now they're bad right now. They actually ranked 305 as we talked this morning here. But one more piece of context here on what you're talking about. This isn't going to change because I think Carolina fans know this, but I don't know that this is something that gets talked about a lot with UNC, and part of it's because they're always good, but uh, Roy Williams is one of the best coaches in college basketball history, but he has been able to, for the entirety of his career, have dominant teams, 31 seasons, win national championships, number one seed, number two seed, number three seed, 
but he has never embraced a three-point oriented offense ever. It's never been part of, it's not what he runs. It never has been. Right now, Carolina takes 25% of its shots from beyond the arc. That's 323rd in the country. Last season was 334. The season before that, 253. Then 240, 306, 338, 350, 349, 236. Never even close to top 150 in three-point rate. It's just not what he does. Now, some of that is because he's a firm believer in having a true point guard distribute Good, reliable bigs, and if that's the case, you're going to filter down low. You'll get, obviously, great, uh, you know, that, that Carolina break, uh, good opportunities in transition, push, push, push. Um, but it's just not what he's believed in, and it's not that he's, you know, completely stubborn and incapable of changing, but he's obviously in the winter of his career, and I don't see that changing this season. So uh, it will be interesting to see if this puts a ceiling on UNC. And my last thought on this whole thing here is – We'll see how good UNC is. I think UNC is going to make the NCAA tournament. I think Duke is probably going to make the NCAA tournament. I don't think Kentucky will. This is a trivia time for our listeners if you want to look this up because I haven't researched it yet. It shouldn't take too long. If Carolina winds up just not quite being good enough, 14-19 last season, they don't get enough opportunities in the ACC and they're just on the outside looking in. And maybe Duke's there too. Although I will say as I talk through this, if we had a situation where Carolina and Duke were both on the bubble fighting to get in, <laughs> that would be a, kind of a delightful plot twist, honestly. We've never had that. I wonder when the last time Kentucky, Duke, and Carolina all did not make the NCAA tournament. I'm going to blindly guess. This is a blind guess. I'm going to say early 1950s. I think at least one of those three teams has made the tournament every year since 60. Maybe there's a year in the early 60s where that's not the case, but I don't know about that. So just keep an eye on that going forward. Got questions on UNC, major issues at Kentucky. We'll get to that in a second. And then Duke, obviously, you know, limited sample size. We'll see if it can rally and get itself together in 2021. One thing you got to understand is just how difficult it was to make the NCAA tournament back then when Bill Henderson had Baylor rocking and rolling. It get it was tough. It's a different it a different sport. And back that then, was coming way. off that was coming off the two year two year old Tony Hinkle era. It, it <laughs> used to be really really tough. There's there's no doubt. About, and people the thing is, and this annoys me. Like the mainstream college basketball media doesn't acknowledge this. No one ever talks about it. But you bring up a good point. Um, last night, uh, last thing on this, North Carolina had 18 turnovers, just 15 assists against NC State. Every starter had at least two turnovers. Three of the five starters had three. Um, they, a lot like Kentucky, cannot shoot it. They do not take care of it. And then Garrison Brooks, he was the preseason ACC player of the year. Right or wrong, he was the guy that got labeled that. He averaged 16.8 points, 8.5 rebounds per game last season. That is why he was the preseason ACC player of the year. Statistically speaking, he was the best returning player in the league. But this season, points down, rebounds down, field goal percentage down, basically everything down. He was just 5 of 14 from the field, 10.7 rebounds against NC State. So he has not been as good as they probably need him to be. And when you combine that with the five-star freshmen aren't performing at typical five-star freshman, you know, national freshman of the year candidate levels, well, um, that's how you lose three of your first eight games. Let's move on. Kansas cruised in the second half to a 79-65 victory over West Virginia late Tuesday. Jayhawks came in averaging just 21.4 three-point attempts per game. They launched 37 against West Virginia, made 16 of them. We're going to talk about that next. First, check this out. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. 
If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So Kansas made 16 three-pointers and cruised to a 79-65 victory over West Virginia late Tuesday inside Allen Fieldhouse. They only entered the game averaging 21.4 three-point attempts per game, so 37 is a big number. When you make 16 of them, that's a good percentage. That's how you pull away in the final 20 minutes. Norlander, I, I know you watched the game, talked about it on CBS Sports HQ last night. What would you think of KU's performance? Uh, message sent here. So a couple takeaways. First of all, it was obviously a real game and a damn interesting game at the half. KU trailed by one. Sean McNeil... Just, you know, just makes a, a dominant showing. He wound up 6 of 10 from three-point range uh, for West Virginia and, and really stepped up in a big way. Um, and for a, for a bit there, we, we wondered if West Virginia might be able to, to get arguably the best win anyone's had in college basketball this season. And then, you know, just completely different situation in the second half. Completely different. West Virginia only gets 29 points. Um, so I've got, I've got Oscar Shibo and Derek Culver combining for... 11 points and 13 rebounds against Kansas. That's not going to be good enough. Um, Kansas, the way it shot from three-point range was eye-opening. It's obviously, you know, a complete opposite from what we just talked about with Carolina there. And C.J. Moore, who does a great job covering uh, Kansas and some other teams for the Athletic, noted this is actually the second highest three-point rate in a game ever under Bill Self at Kansas there. Um, Dave McCormick played well. Christian Brown had 22 points. He made six three-pointers, had seven dimes. Um, Kansas's ability to really just overtake and overwhelm West Virginia on the glass is the kind of thing that we just don't see that often. Um, kind of a you know bittersweet day for Bob Huggins yesterday. He was nominated yet again uh, as a finalist for the Naismith Hall of Fame. This is the fourth time. We'll see if he gets in. We will know the answer to that uh, at the time of the Final Four. Um, so he gets that good news, and then his team goes out and lays a second-half egg. My biggest takeaway, aside from, like, it's a, Kansas fans are going to be thrilled that they got that kind of performance out of McCormick. Uh, you didn't need a superhuman performance out of Jalen Wilson, although he was good again, and they had five guys in double figures. It, to me, it was more... We went into the season... Wondering, like, we gave, I almost felt like, at least I did, and I think you did to a certain extent, like, we gave Kansas the benefit of the doubt because of its coach about where it should be placed in the preseason rankings. Um, if the if if the personnel was the same, but Kansas wasn't on the jersey, I think almost any other team would have been placed outside the AP top 10 preseason or the preseason polls. But now, open the season with the loss against Gonzaga, but what I said on HQ is this. Home went over Creighton, a tough one, but they got it. They win at Texas Tech. I think, I'm pretty sure the Texas Tech win 
is like top five or six in terms of uh, actual quality at this point. Um, a great a great road win. And then they, they get this win. They're the third best team in college basketball. Now, I think you've got them four. I think you still have them four. But to me, it's Gonzaga clearly won. Baylor right there, you know, given chase. I still think there's a little bit of separation there, but they're two. And then Kansas is three. And before the game last night, Parrish, I just wasn't convinced of that. Now, now I am, and Kansas gets a little bit of a break here. Um, if KU fans are wondering, I did text Bill Self and asked if he was going to squeeze in one non-conference game uh, before their January second game against Texas because they have the room for one more. He said no, we're gonna we're not going to do that. So KU will not play again until a huge game on January two against Texas. But are you with me? Even though you don't have them third, like this is the I think it's fair to say this is the third best team in college basketball right now after what they've done. Yeah, I, I can't argue with that. Certainly, um, you know I, I have it: Gonzaga one, Baylor two, Iowa three, Kansas four. My uh, rationalization for that uh, I explained on Sunday's podcast like Iowa and Kansas are both one loss teams the one loss both coming the top rank Gonzaga and I didn't under, I didn't I mean I could have done it like I could do whatever I want but I didn't uh, see the point in dropping Iowa from three down to four below Kansas when they both had the same loss mm-hmm. and Kansas lost by more points to Gonzaga just one point you're more, right, but still, yeah. And so Iowa, Iowa won on Tuesday. By the way, you know they right. they were able to beat Purdue. So you know, th- there's a case yeah. there. I would think I, I would just take Kansas on a neutral tomorrow. I think yes, I, I it, like it, but it is it it. I think it's those four teams mm-hmm. because after that you get into Tennessee, which is ranked on reputation at this point. They really haven't done anything. I mean, they beat Colorado, but you know they they their their season was delayed because of COVID issues. I'm just looking at my top 25 and one now. Villanova's got the one sort of questionable loss to Virginia Tech. Um, then you got West. I got West Virginia at seven. Um, you know, Virginia's got the San Francisco loss at eight. So the top four in some order should be the four that I have, and you could certainly have. Kansas as high as as number three and I think no lower uh, than four the Jayhawks now have four top 50 Ken Palm wins I, I don't know it's going to stay that way Kentucky is sitting at 50 and trending the wrong direction but the other ones over Texas Tech West Virginia and Creighton off to a terrific start and you're exactly right when I put Kansas in the top 10 of the preseason top 25 and one when I looked at the roster I was like I don't know if this is a top 10 team, but it's Kansas, Bill Self. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. But now, you know, it looks like we had them underrated in in the preseason. They look like a legitimate national championship contender. As I said um, earlier today on CBS Sports HQ, way earlier today on CBS Sports HQ, uh, Baylor should still be considered the favorite in the Big 12, but Kansas is obviously a real threat, not only to win that league, but to, to win the whole thing. You know, they would have entered the NCAA tournament last season as the number one overall seed. And they're looking like they're a candidate to be a, uh, a one seed in the 2021 NCAA tournament as well. Just terrific stuff. And it is interesting that, you know, Kansas is a blue bud with a hall of fame coach, just like Kentucky, just like Duke, just like Carolina, but over and over again, you look at these bill self coach teams and it's not like some top five recruit um, who is starring for them. You know, like Christian Brown last night, just a guy coming out of high school. You know, Jalen Wilson was just a guy coming out of high school. And Bill, I think more than any of the other active Hall of Fame coaches, is able to, sure, you know, enroll a five-star prospect and, and benefit from them. Most famously, I think, you know, Andrew Wiggins, Joel Embiid, that class. But I guess I'd put it this way. more You see a four-star guy, or a three-star guy become a relevant 
important piece at Kansas more often than you see that at Kentucky or Duke or Carolina. Do you think that's true? Uh, on its surface, it sounds true, and obviously player development there is huge. Uh, I think that in the poster players for this to kind of uh, cement. I mean, I'm talking about like guys like Frank Mason. Cor- that's, about what I'm about to, that's exactly what yeah. I'm about to say. Like Frank Mason and Devontae Graham, yeah. who was going to go to App State before he got out of that LOI. Um, yeah, those were the two that – but, yes, I, I I feel like that is the case, and, and, and what Self has done so far is impressive. There's no doubt about it. Now, you know, Jalen Wilson's way better than anyone, anyone thought. Christian Brown is, uh, is certainly growing into a nice player. Like, they're doing this without even – like, if you told me this was what Kansas was going to be, I would tell you that, okay, Bryce Thompson absolutely hit, and he's one of the three most important players, and he's he's hitting 38% of his threes. That's not been the case. Bryce Thompson, a heralded five-star recruit, has not been has not been a big factor. Neither has, like, Mitch Lightfoot, you know? It's been it's been Garrett. It's been Wilson, Ojai Abaji. It's a good roster that's well-coached, and, and Self is getting the most out of it at this point. Uh, the Gonzaga loss is well behind him, and, you know, it's it's – what 10 11 days out here i can't wait for that texas kansas game that can be an absolutely awesome one on january 2nd we got a ways to go but uh yeah ku sitting pretty at eight and one and establishing quite a nice resume for itself so far it wouldn't be an episode of the ion college basketball podcast if we didn't at least touch on kentucky a little bit so on uh, calipari he did make headlines earlier this week when he announced that he's asked cameron fletcher to step away from the team after the four-star freshman was visibly upset in the closing minutes of UK's loss to North Carolina over the weekend. Here's what Cal tweeted. Quote, we have asked Cam Cameron Fletcher to take some time and step away from the team. He needs to reflect and do some soul searching to get his priorities in order. Any attitude or actions that are detrimental to this team will not be tolerated. And that goes for everyone on the team. We have a culture here that's been built over the last 11 years and it will all caps will not change through good times and bad. This culture is meant to change individuals and change maturity levels. This hurts our team, but this is about cam and his future. I talked to cam and his mother and they know I care about him and I love him, but they also understand that there are changes that need to be made. It's his job to decide whether he can perform within this culture, both on and off the court in tweet. It was three separate tweets. That's a lot of words. Um, Were you surprised that John Calipari was so publicly critical of a player while announcing what is a de facto suspension because I don't want to say he's never done this before, but I don't remember him ever doing something like this before. Scale of one to 10, my level of surprise was probably about an 8.8. What about you with what he said when he said it? Yeah, he usually would just say, you know, he usually just say, hey, we've asked Cam to step away from the team and, um, you know, to, to take a few days to do, you know, whatever. But, like, to talk about maturity levels and, and you know, you, you have to be a part of our culture. We're not changing for you. Conduct detriment of the team will not be tolerated. It was just a lot of words to say um, something that I, I think John is – probably said or suggested in in much fewer words i, I want to be clear i'm not critis, critical of him for doing it um you, you know you can't have a <laughs> a player on the sideline breaking down because he's not playing in the final moments of an important nationally televised game like you know and and we should also be clear um we don't know what happened after that game you know right. keep in mind it took a long time for john calipari to uh meet with the media um no player that participated in the game with North Carolina, as we discussed uh, on Sunday's podcast, 
was made available to the media. Uh, so what we saw was worthy enough, I think, to ask Cameron Fletcher to step away from the team. I'd be interested to know what we didn't see because I would assume it it it, it trickled into the locker room in in some regard, and the byproduct of that is Cameron Fletcher no longer being an active member of Kentucky's basketball program. Yeah, I mean, and for we're left to, you know, it's, you know, Cal making this statement is unusual. It just is, okay? He doesn't do this thing normally, and not to this extent. One in five, Cameron Fletcher's a freshman. The fact that he does it, and, he, like, he knows when he puts this stuff out. The Kentucky fan base is as committed, passionate, generally aware of, like, Every player, the role they play, the shots they should and shouldn't take, when they should and shouldn't be in a game, like whether those opinions are right or wrong, they just know all the nooks and crannies about their team. So when Cal does this, it it puts probably undue speculation and pressure on Fletcher. That's not to say that Fletcher could have done something that was wrong. He, he clearly must have for Cal to do this, but now it's left to a guessing game and you leave so much room for speculation which is probably not entirely fair to Cameron Fletcher you're going to leave out the details that's the right move um ask him to take some time away from the team I I can't help but wonder when you do that in a one in five start and you make his you make references to his behavior public does that even damage him coming back at all? Will we see Cameron Fletcher return to UK? If he will, when will that be? Will it be in mid-January? Will it be next season? I don't know. He uh, Fletcher must like Fletcher must have done something, or it must have been a, a, a number of things. And I don't have information on this. I, I don't have anything to report on it. I'm I'm taking strictly what Cal has put out there, and in doing so, and. <laughs> frankly, um, queued up and teed up these kinds of conversations, which, again, aren't fair to Fletcher. But if he's going to say this, clearly he believes that Fletcher's behavior or actions, whether it was only after the game or during the game or it was a series of events, have threatened the locker room or the nature of the season to the point where he felt he had to do it. I just, I don't know. Like, that's a lot. Now, he could have just simply said... Cameron Fletcher has decided to take some time away from the team. We support him in this. We'll welcome him back. He could have said that. He did not say that, though, Parrish. And so because of that, because it's one in five, um, you know, we don't need to spend more than a few minutes here on this podcast about it, but it is notable. And it's obviously going to – it inflames the situation around Kentucky leading up to, oh, by the way, the December 26th game this weekend against your most hated rival. Like, it it was – I just found it interesting, and I was surprised Cal went as far as he did um, without sparing more details, which was, again, the right move. But, yeesh, I mean, it's just uh, – it is a bad, bad situation at Kentucky. And if a loss against Louisville is coming up next, then, I mean, that's probably just about rock bottom. You know, again, we, we don't know what happened off of national television, but like some of this did happen on national television. It was it was a story well before right. John Calipari started tweeting about it on Monday. So, um, you know, it, it, it is what it is. But I do think you make an in, important distinction in the way that this was phrased. Under normal circumstances, I think John, to the extent he would have said anything, would have said, Cameron Fletcher has decided to step away from the team. Instead, the tweet starts with, we have asked. 
Cam Fletcher to take some time and step away from the team. In other words, making it very clear from the jump, this is not his decision. This is our decision. We're telling him to separate for a little while, perhaps even forever. I, 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 I don't think John would have phrased it that way because he has typically throughout his career been a protect the player type of person. Big and time. on this and on this one, it was we asked him to get away from this program. That type of behavior, attitude, actions will not be tolerated. It's detrimental to the team. Um, it, 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 this was different. It, unprecedented, I'm not sure, but certainly different. As for Cameron Fletcher, and by the way, Cam Fletcher did jump on Twitter and apologize to Big Blue Nation, said he'd never do it again, and so on and so forth. We'll see. But what did he expect when he – Enroll that Kentucky. Kentucky, per usual, enrolled the number one recruiting class in America, had six prospects in it. Five of the prospects were in the top 40 in the high school class. And then there's Cameron Fletcher, who was ranked 68. So he's the lowest rated prospect in a six player class that doesn't even include Olivier Saar and Jacob Toppin. And Damian and Mintz. Yeah, yeah. Okay, right. And now you're mad you're not playing? Like, what, what, why did you think you were going to play? Now, I will say that first three games of the season, he was 17 minutes, 15 minutes, 13 minutes, and then it went one minute, four minutes, two minutes. So it dropped off considerably. But, hey, um, if, you're, if there's any four-star recruits listening right now, let me give you a tip. If you go to Kentucky, you're probably not playing. <laughs> like, when's the last, how often do four-star recruits become meaningful players at Kentucky under John Calipari? It's not often. And, in fact, Cal... I credit Cal for this and that his messaging has always been consistent. Now, he's been able to win enough that the messaging is this way, but he basically says, if you want to come to Kentucky, like you need to embrace the challenge, understand that nothing is promised to you, and we got a bunch of dudes going to the NBA here, so you got to be able to handle this. And he knows that when he recruits certain players, they won't be able to handle it. And for the most part, I think he's done a pretty good job at managing that. Again, he might find he's probably he's just finding himself in this brutal year where just nothing's going right. The, you know, not right combination of players. The pandemic is obviously worsening things. Um, and you know, I think it's worth at least pointing out that you know, again, as, just to repeat my point from Sunday's podcast, like you know, this is not easy on on players anywhere uh, and coaches and all of us in the middle of all of this crap. So, um, but you're right. Cam Fletcher, not the number six rated player in his class. He was, uh, you know, sometimes these players, any coach will tell you this. It, it, does, it can be at Kentucky. It can be at Eastern Kentucky. Um, the outsized expectations of so many of these guys when they get to college versus what they were at their high school on their grassroots team, the adjustment for them and sometimes their parents or their guardians, uh, man, it is it is a part-time job for some of these head coaches and assistant coaches to manage expectations for playing time for their players. Again, this is at Kentucky just as it is at Eastern Kentucky and anywhere else. And we just happen to see it boiling over in public view with Fletcher you know, over the weekend there and with, with what Cal's saying here. So keep an eye on it. You know, he, he's not, he's not Brandon Boston doing this. It's not Terrence Clark, Cameron Fletcher. Most college basketball fans didn't even know who Cameron Fletcher was until he did this, but it is yet another piece of evidence that this, uh, this season has completely gotten out of Calipari's control and we'll see how it can be mended. If it can be mended at all with the game on Saturday against Louisville. I've always thought it's interesting because 
like we're talking about Cam Fletcher like he's a bomb. He's not. He was ranked 68th in the country in his high school class. Like imagine being one of the top 70 anythings yeah. in in the entire country, you know, in your age group. So like it's amazing. But like relative to Kentucky standards, he's just a guy and and was literally the lowest rated guy. So, you know, I I'll just circle back to to my initial point. Like you you if you're ranked 68th in the country, you should not expect to go to Kentucky and play. So, like, I would question your decision to even commit to Kentucky in the first place. Like, if you were, if you told me, yeah, I'm got Kentucky offered, I say, okay, cool, that's great. So, what are you thinking? Yeah, I, I just can't pass up the opportunity to go there, and I know I'm probably not going to play, but I, you know, as a freshman, because they're bringing in uh, five guys all higher rated than I am, plus they've got three transfers they're enrolling. Um, they're bringing back one player, but I just want to be at Kentucky. I want to be a part of that program. And then hopefully in time I'll develop into a meaningful piece. I'd say, okay, it sounds like you got the right mindset. But if you told me I'm going to Kentucky um, as the 68th ranked player in my high school class, and if I only play two minutes in the sixth game of the season, I'm going to have a meltdown on the sideline. I'd be like, yo, you don't need to, you don't need to go there. Then you need to go to, to Northern Kentucky, not the university of, of Kentucky. So I'm not sure like what his expectations were, but I have always found it fascinating to think about if you're a Kentucky level prospect and then you end up, um, you know, if you're a Kentucky, if you're somebody who's good enough at basketball to to be offered a scholarship at Kentucky, you have almost certainly always been the best player on any team you've ever been on. Certainly, one of the best players on any team you've ever been on, and you've never sat on the bench your entire life. What must that be like to sit on the bench for the first time in your entire life? It's got to be a weird thing. I remember, like, I was an please, I'm not comparing myself to a Kentucky basketball player, but I was like an okay baseball player growing up. You know, I played, you know, six years old, made the all-star team. Seven years old, made the all-star team. Eight years old, like I was always All right, guy, okay, okay. I was really good. I I could really, I could really play middle infield. The older you get, the better you were. I know, keep it going. I know, I'm being sincere. I was a uh, pretty good middle infielder, couldn't really hit that well. Um, But, but I... I always started for every team I was ever on and I was always like one of the better players on the team. And then I got the high school in my freshman season. I made varsity, but I didn't play, you know, cause we had a, a junior second baseman and a senior shortstop and I just didn't play. And I was miserable. I hated it. I wanted the season to be over. We were actually in the state playoffs and I wanted us to lose. I was tired of sitting on the bench. I didn't want to sit on the bench another game. And again, Again, it's apples to oranges. I was just a mediocre high school baseball player. But the point remains the same. I had never sat on the bench in any sport that I'd ever played because I only played things that I was good enough to play. I played soccer and baseball. You know, I I tried to play basketball one year. I wasn't good enough. I just said, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, But I had never sat on the bench. And it was, I don't want to say depressing, but it it sucked. And so I'm always... I can understand how it might be a weird thing to go through when you're somebody like Cameron Fletcher and suddenly you're sitting on the bench for what I assume is the first time in your entire life. But like, what did you expect when you enrolled at Kentucky? Like there is a a whole bunch of programs, most the overwhelming majority of programs in America, where if you're ranked 70th in the country, you can go there and reasonably expect to be a rotation piece as a freshman. But Kentucky is not one of those places. So if you are um, in a situation where you want to play big minutes as a freshman 
or else you're going to have a meltdown. Um, if you're ranked 68th in the country, you should not be going to Kentucky. And that that and that goes for Cam Fletcher or you know anybody who's ranked 68th in the class of 2021, 2022, 2023 until John Calipari is no longer the coach. Before we get out of here, uh, tremendous news out of Florida on Tuesday: Keontae Johnson was released from the hospital. Now. The Gainesville Sun had a report citing sources about what might have caused Keontae's collapse at Florida State. You can read that if you want, but it should be noted that Florida officials haven't released anything in that regard so far. Keontae's family hasn't either, so we're going to hold off on diving into the specifics. Keontae's parents have promised to share any information they believe could help others, but they insist that process has not been completed yet. So, like I said, we'll wait to have that conversation another day. But for now, it's just nice to know Keontae Johnson is at home. Agreed. And that's a good note on that report, um, particularly because it came out uh, a few hours after the family released a statement on Tuesday saying that Keontae was going to be discharged from the hospital, which is obviously wonderful news. And the family is going to be as transparent as possible with everything, which is also wonderful news because obviously – uh, we're in the midst of a public health crisis, and um, Keontae's condition and his incident are as important to him as they do inform college basketball, as they inform college hockey and college football and pro football and pro basketball. Frankly, what happened to Keontae Johnson should be a concern. I've seen some people kind of narrow it down to an issue with college basketball. No, it's actually an issue for all of sports, and in particular, all college sports. Because if it could happen to Keontae Johnson, it could just as well happen to someone playing college sports in March or college hockey right now. So just keep that in mind. But the news that he is uh, he has left the hospital has been wonderful. There was a video posted over the weekend of him um, dancing with his teammates, uh, which was uh, which was honestly wonderful. Seeing uh, Keontae kind of try and cut a rug there was was great stuff. So the best him, uh, you know. It, it, at this point, the fact that his family can, I mean, think about where we were, what, 11 days ago or so, um, and the situation his family was in, his parents were in, um, and how scary that was, uh, the answers that weren't known at that point, and now they're going to get to spend Christmas with their son. This is absolutely wonderful, and again, um, it's been it's been great to see Florida and the family continue to provide updates as as they've been able to and been comfortable with, and they've been fairly consistent. I mean, we've had, I want to say five or six updates from Florida with consistency. Um, so that's, that's wonderful and, and, and great for Keontae. The fact that he's going to get to spend his holiday with his family, be out of the hospital. That is, uh, that is absolutely wonderful. Cause the one thing you don't want to be is, uh, is in the hospital on Christmas. Um, that's actually where I was a year ago, not nearly as bad, but, um, I uh, I had the herniated disc, which was causing the the leg issue, and then I got diverticulitis on Christmas Eve, and and got stuck in the hospital for forty eight hours. So that was a uh, that sucks. Um, and there's going to be a lot of families that obviously are dealing with a lot this holiday season. So for Keontae, that's certainly wonderful news. And as a reminder, Florida is not playing any of its non conference games uh, for the remainder. It has it has pushed that all that off, and now um, as it kind of tries to prepare its next game is scheduled for a week from today on December 30th when it will open the SEC season at Vanderbilt. You mentioned the Florida updates. They've done a tremendous job of, of you know, being respectful of Keontae's privacy, but also letting um, 
you know, people know, uh, you know, how he was doing and that he was getting better uh, because, you know, th- this isn't, and this would be a story regardless of who the player was, but this wasn't just like some random player at random school. This was uh, the preseason SEC player of the year, a projected first round NBA draft pick who collapsed on national television in a game against an in-state rival. So this was a, a big story. And, and, and then, because of the speculation about what might have caused it, it became an even bigger story. And every time we've gotten an update, it's made me smile because it's just been one good thing after another. And you and I both know people at Florida on that staff in that athletic department. And, you know, when this happens, I don't want to speak for you, but from my perspective, you you reach out to people just to let them know, hey, you know, thinking of you, hope everything goes well. You try to be respectful of the privacy, but you are so, you're also curious, um, you know, how are, how are things going? Not, not even from a, because I want to tweet something real quick, but I'm just genuinely curious, like how, how are things going? How you feeling? Are you optimistic? And again, I don't want to speak for you, but the stuff we were hearing early on was not good. At least the stuff I was hearing early on was not good. And to go from that to, hey, Keontae's FaceTiming with his team. Whoa. Hey, Keontae is releasing a video where he's thanking fans for thoughts and prayers. Wow. Hey, here's Keontae dancing with his teammates. Awesome. Hey, Keontae's going to be home for Christmas. It's just been one good positive thing after another. And given what we all watched when we saw the, the video of him collapsing and then the things we were hearing early on, um, I, I can't tell you that I expected it to go this well. I can just tell you I'm thrilled that it has gone this well. I agree with you. Um, we can make this a little shorter podcast here, but before we get out of here, just a reminder that we will have another episode for you. I got GP can't hear it now because I'm going to put it in post, but yes, I got a little Christmas music on this episode and next. I always like to get a little bit festive here. We will have a Christmas Eve episode for you. That's because Wednesday has no shortage of good games. Illinois is going to play at Penn State, Rutgers, Ohio State, Nova Marquette, UCLA, Oregon, Xavier Creighton, Providence at Butler. Butler, by the way, lost the longest non-conference home win streak in America. It was Dukes a year ago. It lost to Stephen F. Austin, then Southern Illinois. Shouts to the Salukis. Got to shout the Salukis out. They were able to get a win at Butler earlier this week, and Butler's going to turn around in two days and try and defeat uh, Providence here. But before we get out of here, it is technically... I can't wait for tomorrow's episode. It's Festivus today, December 23rd. And Festivus is the airing of grievances. I gave Parrish no heads up on this. Do you have any grievance? Any, I'm talking anything. I know you do. So... Any grievance in the world that you need to air out, I want to I want to provide you the forum right now, Parrish. It's December twenty third. You have a grievance. If you got two, lay them on me. What? Give the people a grievance here on Festivus. I'm frustrated with folks trying to spell cancel with two L's. Okay, well, we we already talked about that one recently. I, that that is an issue. You know, here's a grievance of mine. I saw this tweet earlier this morning. It's Christmas card season. Here's a grievance. No, a grammar grievance. If you send me a Christmas card, which you didn't, by the way, but whatever, it's fine. We didn't do one this year. Neither did my, we. My, my wife actually mentioned it last night. She says, I'm, a, I'm sort of sad we didn't do a Christmas card this year. And I said, I'm sort of sad our entire living room is covered in Legos. Let, There's a grievance. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Dude, I, am, I, I, I get so frustrated at my kids just making messes nonstop. We are about to turn 
attic space over our garage. I, I'm turn. We are going to get it built. Whatever the, you call it, it's going to be a new playroom, and it is upstairs. The furthest it will be as far away from the rest of the home as you possibly can get. And I have promised my kids I will build them the the most incredible playroom, but they are not allowed to bring any toys ever under any circumstances downstairs ever again. Like that's how much that's how much I am bothered by just stuff laying everywhere that I am going to spend a not insignificant amount of money to make it when where when I walk in my door, I don't have to look at soup forty superheroes in my dining room. Okay. I, I, I agree with you on this, and that's a good grievance. So, two things. Christmas card right there with you. First of all, we didn't expect to get too many from friends this year because we just thought, like, everyone was in the situation we're in. Like, it's just it's the pandemic. We're exhausted all the time. Like, we didn't have time to do it. The mail is slow, so whatever. And then, like, we've had friends send us some really good ones, and we're like, we oh, dropped the ball there. So my apologies. My grievance... If you were to send me a Christmas card and it came mm-hmm. from the parishes, it would be the parishes, plural. Oh, d- not yeah, no, possessive. I hate, I, there I is hate. no apostrophe, so it would be P A R R I S H E S. That's correct. Not apostrophe S. My grievance is with the people in this world who are adults who don't understand. I will go grammar grievance again every damn podcast. It is not possessive. There is no apostrophe in your name when you send something from your family. It is, it's plural, damn it. It's plural. I, dude, I, this actually drives me crazy as well. Like, Merry Christmas from the Smiths, apostrophe S. No. I, like, it's not an pot. Get it at, my, you know, like we used to have, I don't know if they're yard ornaments or whatever, but it would be like, uh, you know, the, the, it would say the parishes on it. And my wife got one one time that had apostrophe S. And I said, I'm not, I cannot put that in our yard. <laughs> Like I, it's incorrect. Like she's like, well, but but that's she tried to. Well, that's the way everybody else does it. I said, well, everybody else is dumb. We're not going to be dumb with everybody else. Correct. Would you, you know, we're not going to be dumb with the rest of the world. No apostrophe on parishes. No apostrophe on Smiths. But you're what percentage of Christmas cards do you think are incorrectly written with an apostrophe? I mean, I think as a country. I think we're clipping at like 75% and it's yeah. brutal. It's brutal. I don't know how this happens, but it's incorrect and it needs to stop and it's going to the the stopping starts right here. Yeah, the, in in terms of other grammar things, this is what I've talked about before. It drives me crazy forever when people say you'll see it on TV all the time. I, you'll hear it on podcasts all the time. I could care less. It's could not care less. It's not, if you could care less, that means you you could actually care less than you already do. It's I could not care less than I already care. It is actually impossible for me to care less than I do because I could not care less. It is remarkable how many people get that wrong over and over and over again. You know what else is creeping up now these days? Hmm. Would of, would of, not would of, apostrophe V-E as in the conjunction for would have, but it's would of oh i would have done that no no no, no nobody actually types that out oh they? oh it happens oh what? it happens oh yeah yeah or should of of oh yeah that that's out there oh yeah 
That's nobody. T- I can understand somebody's verbalizing that. Oh, no, but, no, no, no. But no, actually no. typing wood OF. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Really? This is, this is a thing. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to Google. I'm going to do a Twitter search right now. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to literally, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm typing in the phrase right now. Let's see. Let's see today how many people have done it. Uh, well, this is not exactly the best kind of search because it brings up any literally. <laughs> it brings up any tweet that has the, has both should and of in it. But it does happen. People listening know. By the way, when we did our grammar grievances previously, good feedback. I appreciate that. We've got we've got some people in our corner, which I which I very much appreciate. But it is Festivus, and uh, I hope everyone is having a wonderful Christmas Eve Eve. And we will be back for another episode tomorrow to uh, talk about whatever happens tonight. And then, obviously, we will preview what's a pretty solid Saturday in College Hoops. One more. One more before we leave. Because you just used the word literally, and you used it correctly. But when people say things like, my head literally exploded. No, your, your head did not literally explode. Like, we have reached a point where people, A, overuse the word literally, but B, use it incorrectly over and over again but, every day. But the problem is uh, that this was like three, four years ago. Yeah, this is literally uh, a link I'm clicking on right now. Merriam-Webster has a post dedicated to this. Did we change the definition of literally? And it says, is it, is it okay to ever use literally to mean figuratively? And Merriam-Webster, citing Charles Dickens... Because this has become so widespread. Now, I'm with you. Again, I'm not going to do it. But so many people used literally incorrectly that it became accepted, according to Miriam Webster. Maybe it was Miriam. Maybe it was Webster. I don't know which of the two. I got issues with both of you for this. But I'm with you on that. It's ridiculous. Like- <laughs> it is, it's, it's not literally ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. The idea that we would change the meaning of a word... Because people were misusing it instead of teaching people how to not misuse it makes no sense to me. Like, what if everybody was calling the sun the moon? Would we just be like, all right, fine, we'll just call the sun the moon then? It makes no sense. That's how, that's how, about, how, about, how about let's do it right? It's anarchy. I know. I, I hear you, man. We'll continue. We'll continue to, uh, to try and better this fractured nation. One podcast. <sighs> Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle, legend. Shouts to Larnow. Thank you guys for listening once again to the Ion College Basketball Podcast in the middle of the dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. Literally. Literally <laughs> the dumbest pandemic <laughs> of, my, of my lifetime. Actually, I don't think that's right because I don't think a pandemic can literally be dumb. But you get the point. Yes. Merriam-Webster said it's okay. I can use it like that. If you're not subscribed already, please go subscribe. Anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, while you're there, rate it. Leave a review. Five stars, nice comments. And by the way, when I asked people last podcast to please go do that, the people came through. The people came through. We got tons of new ratings and tons of new reviews, positive stuff. So sincerely, um, I appreciate that. Norlanda does too. Keep it up, and we will talk to you again tomorrow morning. Till then, take care. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. 
This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.